This is K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight. And guest host, Joe Palmer. And on this episode, we're discussing EXID's new Eclipse EP with our guest, Jessica Doyle. Jessica is a pop music and culture writer based around K-pop. She is a contributor to Singles Jukebox as well. Hello. Pleasure to be here. It's very nice to have you. So guys, EXID has a very complicated history. It's sort of hard to summarize, but I'm going to give it a, a try here. They debuted in 2012. They originally had six members. The three original members who are still members of EXID are Hani, Junghua, and Li. And the members that lasted only about a month or two are Yuji, Young, and Dami. And it's a little mysterious. Apparently, EXID was originally some kind of collaboration that involved Shinsadong Tiger and AB Entertainment. And things obviously went wrong. They came up with some kind of excuse about Yuji, Young, and Dami having other things that they needed to do other than be in a K-pop group. And they added Solji as the lead vocalist who was in a two-person vocal group called 2NB and was also a vocal trainer for EXID at the time. And they also added Hiran. And that is the lineup that is still there today, with the exception that, unfortunately, Solji has had some uh, health issues and is not a part of the Eclipse album. Right. Hyperthyroidism. Right. One of the things I really love about EXID's history is that they are another example of JYP trainees just showing up everywhere throughout the K-pop industry. Oh, that's right. Right? The origin of EXID goes back to a group that was supposed to debut with JYP, and it's so much fun to go back and look at all these super groups that never actually debuted, but it was supposed to be called Little Big Mama. <laughs> oh, dear. Let's hope maybe that's the reason they didn't debut. <laughs> that's... They, there was still a chance to change the name, though, because it was pre-debut. But the members were supposed to be Yuji, who is, she's in Bestie now. She's an incredible vocalist and just everything you could want from an idol. I don't know why she's not a, a bigger star. I remember recently some American singer discovered her and was going to bring her to the U.S. and make her a huge star. But she's very impressive. It was Mario. Right. Yeah, but she's totally amazing. Yeah. And that's just the start of it, because also in that group was supposed to be Hyorin of Sistar, who obviously is an incredible vocalist, has a great solo career. Song Jiyun of Secret, who is another great vocalist, has a great solo career. We talked about her Bobby doll in an earlier episode. And Hani, who is the most popular member, I'd say, probably of EXID. And it's kind of fun to think about what a, yeah. what a great group that would have been, but if it hadn't been... You know, if that group had gone forward, maybe we wouldn't have the Sistar and Secret and EXID that we have today. Yeah, and that's a lineup to rival Mamamoo in terms of like vocal prowess. So it would have been interesting to see them all the way back in 2011. Right? Yeah. And it was supposed to be a vocal group, which makes it interesting. You know, Hani doesn't have a reputation for being a great vocalist, but, but she really can sing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was in that subunit with Solji Dasoni, which was also billed as a vocal group. And then... If you listen to any of her solos on the album, she she really holds her own. She also did a one-off solo, or trio, I should say, with Solar of Mamamoo and Luna of F of X. Mm-hmm. I think it was earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a trifling song, but it's still <laughs> kind of fun to see them together. Oh, she sounded great in that too, yeah. 
So we're going to go through their history in the way we normally do on this show, which is not necessarily chronologically, but we're each going to talk about a song from EXID's past before we get to their present release and talk about their history in that way. I think that I have the earliest of all of them, after I've said that we're not going chronologically. <laughs> and the song that I'd like to talk about is Every Night, which is every EXID's fan's you know, hidden gem that no one else knows about. Although I noticed their video has over 30 million views, so I think people have found out about Every Night. And thankfully so. It's a pretty crazy video. It's worth watching, <laughs> for sure. But one of the many interesting things about Every Night is that it's actually a remake of a song from the first EXID EP named Hippity Hop. That's the name of the EP. The song is Phone Call. Yeah. And it was written, they're both by, I guess, written by Ellie and produced by Shin Sedong Tiger and Ellie together. And it's really interesting to listen to the differences between the two. A lot of times groups will do a remix or an acoustic version or something like that. And it's really the same song. This is more of a Kanye West sort of deal where they just redid the song. You know, they kept the parts they liked and they added new parts and they rearranged it. And I think they knew that they really had something there with that song. And I think they were right. The, the remake is a lot better than the first version. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the most interesting things about EXID actually is their relationship with Shin Sedong Tiger. We don't hear about it a lot necessarily, but... In K-pop, you don't see a lot of groups that have a consistent relationship with one songwriter. Either their agencies are going out and choosing between producers in-house or choosing between producers abroad. You have groups that work with a different set of producers for every album. The only comparison that immediately springs to mind is the relationship that groups like Big Bang and 21 have with Teddy Park. And it's interesting kind of to think about how that kind of close relationship, professionally speaking, between Shin Sedong Tiger and EXID, especially LE, plays out in how their music gets put together and how that's not the industry norm. Yeah, I think you're right. And there may be a financial tie-in, but there's also more than that because my understanding is that Shin Sedong Tiger is the one who more or less discovered Ellie and is responsible for her being in EXID. And the two of them working together is sort of the secret sauce of a lot of the good music that they've put out over the years. Yes. Totally. And with EXID, whenever I hear a new K-pop song, I always like to look up the lyrics. But I found with EXID, because of Ellie's committed involvement to everything they do, is that these are always her words. And it's a lot more interesting knowing that this is coming from one of the members every single time and they're working with the same producer every single time it means that there's likely a lot more thought put into how the separate singles work together and how albums work together as a cohesive whole. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's, it's also interesting when comparing the original phone call song to the Every Night masterpiece that came later is there are some changes in the lyrics. The story is that the singer is a woman who's involved in a relationship that's over and she accepts that and she's fine with it but she keeps getting these phone calls from the guy and you know ellie actually uses the term booty call yes and she doesn't like it but she can't resist it and so she's kind of ambivalent and she's torn she says this relationship is like a high stairway i don't know how to get down but from the original version to the second version the woman's position is stronger and more aggressive some of the lyrics that were done away with were things like, it's so deep, I can't control this, or just hold me tight. And those have been replaced with, 
why do you try to shake me up again and have my phone ringing all night and that oh no 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 oh no 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 part. with the change in music as well where his phone call is a little bit more bright and like synthy and boppy every night the newer version is of these like gorgeous melancholic guitars and a lot more stripped back yeah it really really works and i can't go without pointing out the highlight of the song which is one of my favorite moments in k-pop which is i think it's probably after the second chorus but toward the end of the song when it builds up to hani is singing the melody and Ellie is rapping in the background, sort of echoing what Hani is singing. And then Solji is just going crazy with the ad libs and the belting in the background. That's just such a great moment when all those three are all brought together. I'll move up next because mine is next chronologically. I picked Aya, which skips obviously a big moment for EXID and it came right after Up and Down. Up and Down was their viral smash after this fan cam of Hanny was posted on YouTube and viewed millions of times of her performing Up and Down, which is interesting way of them becoming famous, especially we talked about their girl power and how this kind of leery fan cam has made them so big. But it was worth it in the end. And I think how Aya reacts to Up and Down is what I like so much about it. I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's my absolute favourite song of theirs, but I think it's really important to show the kind of direction that they wanted to take, especially post all this fame. In the verse especially, Hani and Ali kind of duel against each other. Hani is her sexy, temptress self that everyone loves so much. Coming up against Ali with her a lot more angry, blistering rap and... When I first listened to it on headphones, I knew this is something that I love because of this driving bass beneath Elliot. So forceful and so addictive. I think Up and Down is a better song between the two because Ah Yeah was definitely supposed to be sort of a sequel to Up and Down. They were trying to capitalize on the momentum that Up and Down got them, and I think they didn't want to stray too far from that. But I, I do agree with you, Joe, that the interplay between Ellie and Hani in the verses of Ah Yeah is probably the thing that really gives that song its force. Totally. Also, Ellie's eyeliner. Can I say that video is great, but Ellie's eyeliner is astounding. Well, they were under a lot of pressure. I think of it as sort of the Psy conundrum, you know, where you have this huge hit and then everybody's waiting for the comeback. And there's no way that you can make people happy because either it's a retread of the same thing or people are going to complain that it's so different. Why are they doing something different when they were so successful with the first one? 
And I think much as, as Cy did, I think, ah, yeah, really walked that line very well. It was similar enough. It gave people who loved Up and Down what they were looking for, but it was a great song on its own and not just totally derivative of the first one. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they were just really trying to raise the bar as well, as if like, oh, you, you like looking at us dancing really closely like this? Well, we're going to give away everything. It's a lot more punchy. It is way more like bigger brass, like bigger beats. It also starts to show... What else I really love about EXID is how well they play to their strengths, especially vocally, where like Hani and Ellie can work off each other. Jungwa gets her sort of smaller, lighter part where she can use her slightly weaker voice and then going bam, straight into Heirin and Soji, who just kind of kill it every single time. Now, we do have to say they have gone to the Heirin to Soji in the chorus well a lot with their singles. Yeah, that's the that's the up and down chorus. That's the all yeah chorus. That's the hot pink chorus. That's the LIE chorus. And LIE isn't even LIE is a different song altogether. Yeah, that is true. And that's something that they should work on, I think, for sure, especially since they now know what that works for them. They should be able to play with it a bit. I think Night Rather Than Day does a little bit, almost just out of necessity because Solji is not there, but they still rely on Hitrin quite a lot. Before we get to that, Jessica, one reason we invited you on the show, of course, is that you wrote this great article toward the end of last year where you posited this scenario under which you would take the position that uh, EXID's Street was the best album of 2016. And I know you want to talk about one of the songs off of that album. How sincerely would you hold to that position that that was the best album of 2016? By the way, not just in K-pop, but anywhere. Okay, my tongue was only slightly in cheek for the essay, which, by the way, is on medium for the curious listener. So, I mean, part of it was just my kind of wanting to poke at what I thought of as a little bit of a critical consensus. Like, why can't this Korean girl group that's not one of the three Korean girl groups everybody's heard of have the album of the year? But no, I do think Street is a solid album, and there are actually a lot of songs on there that I wish I could talk about. Now, admittedly, I'm grading on a curve because there are a lot of K-pop groups that I love that I don't like their albums. There was not a single four-minute album that I liked at all. (laughs) Liked a lot of their singles, but the deep tracks just generally did (laughs) not do it for me. So no, just the fact that it was a full album and it was just full of, of so many solid cuts. But the one I wanted to highlight in our discussion was Are You Hungry? Because it is such an outlier, not just for EXID, but for any pop group. So for those of you who have not listened to Are You Hungry, that's the English title of the song. The Korean title is Nyam Nyam Jup Jup, which is basically the Korean equivalent of And it is a duet between Hyerin and Jung-hwa on street Hani has a solo, Solji has a solo, but neither Hyerin ha- nor Jung-hwa have a solo. They have Are You Hungry instead. And it's about chewing. The whole theme of the song is about chewing because apparently it is a joke in the group that those two chew really loudly. And so Shin Sedong Tiger wrote an entire song <laughs> about chewing and wrote it for Hyerin and Jungkwa and gave it to them to sing. And it's a fun song. It's just bouncy and silly and it takes advantage of Hyerin's vocal strengths and 
Jung-Wa, as we said, she's not the best singer in EXID, but she's still doing fine. And there's a part in it where she's doing a little cheerleader bit and she goes, shake it, shake it. And before that line, she's rattled off a list of ingredients. So <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part. And it just says so much about this group. And it's not just, and this is one of the things I want to talk about in the essay. It's not just that they produce good music. With my favorite K-pop groups, it never is. It's also about how they share their personalities. So what basically happens with Are You Hungry is that the group takes what is essentially a really silly in-joke and turns it not only into a good song, but into an in-joke that everybody listening can share. Are you hungry? just makes me so happy every time I listen to Are You Hungry? But Don't Want to Drive and I Know are also terrific songs. <laughs> and Cream. Well, actually, I'm one of the few people who thinks Lie is a great song. I don't love it. Yeah. I like that they shook things up because they kind of had to after Hot Pink. Hot Pink, I was much less crazy about. That was, that was not that interesting to me. The funny thing is, I actually prefer the street remix of Hot Pink to the right. original single. And it is a remix. It's not like what happened with Phone Call and Every Night. But they just do, first of all, it's shorter. And so, and they, they tweak it in bits. L.I.E., I just found too much of a contrast between the tone of the song and the lyrics. Like, Hiran's trying to say, I hate even your breathing. But she's, like, going up and she's peppy and she's Hiran. And it's, like, not mm -hmm. very convincing. <laughs> well, we've walked right up to it. Should we go ahead and start talking about the Eclipse album? Definitely. Yes, I would love to. So maybe we should start with Night Rather Than Day. I was surprised that not everyone in the little circle of people that I like to steal my opinions from and find out what they think about things was as crazy about Night Rather Than Day as I was. I think it's a great song. Joe, you wrote a review of the album. Yeah, I was really, really excited by Night Rather Than Day. It was, I think because of LIE, I had stopped following EXID as much as I used to. So I wasn't ready for this. It's a, this gorgeous sort of, jazzy R&B, a little bit of electronics here and there to make it that little bit like futuristic. So what did you like about it, Stephen? One thing about it that I really like is I really like very busy songs. I mean, I like J-pop where every millisecond is filled with something different and there's a hundred things going on at once. But this song is also great in the way that it's not like that. There's space in there to hold a note or to have nothing going on and the song doesn't get boring at all. And another thing I noticed, Joe talked about how it's sort of jazzy and laid back. The horn section gave me a real Chicago vibe. I don't know if that's just me, but the band Chicago, you know, not the city. <laughs> the overall highlight, though, 
I don't think anybody's going to disagree with me on this, is Hani's Butterflies in My Mind. I think I'm going to represent the not crazy about it camp. Okay. I really like the fact that they did go so different. And I actually like the fact that they went kind of more understated, that they're not trying to blow everybody away. I know some of the complaints about Night Rather Than Day has been that sounds more like a B-side. It doesn't have a lot of oomph. I'm perfectly okay with that. What doesn't work for me in the track, especially when we get to about the second verse, there's just a lot of part switching. And it feels like every time we have a new part, we have something else going on. And I knew, Stephen, as soon as you said the best part, I thought to myself, he's going to say, Honey's Butterflies in my mind line. Of course. <laughs> Obviously. but and, and I knew exactly what we're talking about. But I also feel like so much has gone on in the minute or so before she gets to that line that it blunts the impact of it for me. Because we've just had... We've had Ellie rapping, and then Jung Hwa's being quieter, and then Hani has a part, and then Jung Hwa's back again. It doesn't join up completely to me. I even listened to the instrumental today, which is the last track on the mini, and even the instrumental feels more disjointed than I would like. It, it doesn't all hold together. I do like Night Rather Than Day more in the context of the album than I do as a standalone single. Totally, yeah, I agree. I think night rather than day out of that context may be a little bit weaker. Uh, and I think boy is great. Mm-hmm. So boy is great. I wouldn't have put boy as the single. I'm actually surprised that they're doing it on music shows. Would boy be your choice for the highlight of the? Yeah, boy would be my choice for the highlight of the album. I think both the solo songs are fun. I do prefer Hani's solo, Hello, that's her solo on Street. I do prefer Mm -hmm. that to her solo on Eclipse, even though they're both good. Mm -hmm. Hello just has a little bit more going on. How, why, I'm going to have to listen to a few more times. I think it's going to grow on me, but it's going to take a bit. Yeah, How, why was the weakest one for me. When I first listened to it, I could imagine a Western or like an American pop singer performing it. And that's probably a a bias that I just have, but as soon as I think that, I think it's bad. So yeah, it might need time to grow as well. An interesting thing to me about Boy is the chorus is, you could almost call it a wordless chorus, or you could look at it as just the same word over and over. You know, they take the word boy and map it onto the keyboard. They take that as a sample and play that as notes. And it really comes across more as an instrumental chorus than a vocal chorus. It reminds me a little bit of Lie, which was a largely instrumental chorus too. They do something similar with I Know on Street, where all the vocal action is actually in the pre-chorus, and then the chorus is just instrumental and Ellie singing I Know, I Know, I Know, I Know. Oh yeah, right, right. All right, so let's move on to our unmuted K-pop picks, where each of us picks a song that we've been thinking about recently. Joe, do you have a song that you'd like to talk about? I do, yeah. Following on from What's Up, we're going to go for a bit more filthy, trashy hip-hop, this time from a member of very little-known girl group, Girls Girls. Her name is Miso. She recently a song called KKPP, and it's very much in the Hyuna solo style of like really driving drums, tribal drums, like jarring electro coming in and out everywhere. And her rapping is 
pretty impressive, actually, especially when she's dancing along with it this whole time. There's a charm to her that I like that uh, only a few of these K-pop girls can do, like Kiona. What I find most interesting about it, though, is that it's the first example that I know of of a K-pop song sampling another K-pop song. And this, in the background, I don't know if you can hear it, it's a it's a sample of Canvas by 4Minute, the, it's a B-side from their last album, Hate. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard this happen before. Looking up an English translation is sometimes sketchy, you don't know how good it is, how, how accurate. But the one I did find had this great little part, which makes absolutely no sense, but I think it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's like, I'm a little out of it today. I think I ate some makeup. My backyard is full of bread. The skinny jeans were dry. And that's like, there's no context around that whatsoever. But uh, I really love it. I got to admit, I do like that. It's a bit try hard, like you said, with WhatsApp. But I find it a bit more endearing this time, just because she's so little known and she pulls it off fairly well. I find her charming. Well, the song that I would like to discuss, first of all, I have to say that it's physically painful for me not to choose the Dreamcatcher song. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't choose it to talk about because it's exactly <laughs> what you would expect from them. But if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Do you have a preference of Chase Me or Good Night, just real quick? You know, it's interesting. Originally, I would have said I preferred Chase Me. I think that's because of the chorus. Mm. But the more I listen to it, I like Good Night because of A, the rap. First of all, speaking of this sort of cosplay sort of rap, Chase Me starts out with this rap grunt, you know, Mm. uh, uh, thing that really doesn't fit in at all. Mm. And the rap section of Good Night is a lot more spooky and eerie appropriate to the song yeah i would agree and even though the chorus isn't as good i like the i like the bridge and i like the rap part a lot better mm-hmm. me too and the choreography and everything else but don't get me started yeah no proceed because <laughs> yes what, what i'm going to talk about is dream in a dream by 10 like the number of nct he's a tie member of nct i'm not going to try to explain <laughs> nct because this is we have limited time and I have limited understanding. Oh, okay. I was like, okay, I know there's NCT 127 and there's <laughs> NCT, the one that did chewing gum. And there must, this must be another NCT subunit. Sure, there are 10 of them. Okay. <laughs> He's in NCT U, but I think that being in one NCT does not necessarily preclude being in another NCT, which was one of the many confusing things about it. But he sometimes is billed as being in NCT U. Well, that would be the SM model. I think. Every super junior member is in at least two subunits. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, NCT is basically taking super junior to the next level of abstraction and confusion <laughs> and international appeal, which is appropriate for 10 because he is Thai. I think he's the only Thai member of NCT so far. His specialty is dance, which fits in well with the song because there's very few vocals in it. And it really does focus on his dance. Obviously, you have to watch the music video to get that part of it. He's a fluent English speaker, and it's another interesting thing about this song is that the few lyrics that are in it are in English. 
you know, to talk about the audio of the song, the first thing that you notice about it is that it has this traditional East Asian zither type sound to it, which I'm going to say is Chinese, even though I don't have the expertise to probably distinguish. Mm -hmm. But the melody and the sort of plucked or picked notes sound Chinese to me. And that always makes me think of the David Bowie, Little China Girl song, where that reference is basically almost a parody mm -hmm. that Nile Rodgers somehow convinced David Bowie to put that in the song. And I thought that was a disaster. But sometimes it's done very well. And I think in this song, it fits in well. Mm -hmm. The song is interesting. I was reading about it all over the place, and I'm serious. In four or five different places, I read that the song has a unconventional structure or no structure at all. And I'm the type, I like weird, unconventional songs, and that really caught my attention. So I tried to pay attention to it. And I really think I disagree with, I don't think I disagree. I disagree with that. How can a song have no structure? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, unless it's just totally ambient, maybe you could say a song could have no structure, but I promise you, I read that at least once, possibly more than once. But that, yeah, I had the same thought. <laughs> it has to have some structure, right? I think that's because it does sound sort of ambient. It's kind of wavy and there's not a particular structure like you can easily find, but I mean, it's there. Like his vocals reoccur in the same parts and there's a, even a sort of bridge where the music goes off a bit. It's not weird and structural sense but just having these sounds that we don't usually hear that's what's weird about it exactly and i think the vocals are in particular you're right that's what throws people off if you can indulge me if i go through this very quickly let me tell you what i think the structure is okay because it starts off with those strings right which is basically an intro and the rhythm section comes in after that and then there's a section where the unique aspect to it is these sort of fluty sounding synths that's basically a verse. There's nothing especially dynamic about that section. And of course, the focus is on the dance, so there doesn't have to be anything dynamic in every section of the song. Then there's another section where it's strummed sounding, whatever traditional instrument that is, that is sort of operates as a verse and is very similar to the section that comes before it. And then the vocals come in, which I think most people would think, well, that's got to be the chorus if there's only a few vocals in the song. But it's a very short section, and then there's a, you know, if it were an EDM song, it would be a riser, where you have this sound that gets higher and higher and builds up this anticipation for the drop that's about to come. And in this song, it's sort of a wind sound or a whooshing sound that gets higher and goes whoosh. And then you don't have a big drop, but then you go into a section where the vocals drop out, the strings come back in, and there's a little stronger bass that's basically a chorus. It's the most intense part of the song. And then you really go through that again. You go through those two parts that I think of as verses and the pre-chorus. And there's a little bit of variation, but it's basically the same thing again. But then after the second chorus, they do what I, what I was talking about in the Every Night song, where they bring all the main aspects of the song together. They throw the vocals in there with the chorus and have the vocals, the strings, and the bass all together as sort of the highlight of the song. Mm -hmm. And then different parts of it drop out and you're back to the strings again. And the outro is basically very similar to the intro. The song is very unconventional and strange, but it's not the structure that's the unusual part about it, I think. I'm saying, I don't wanna come down from your love. We'll get lost together, let me fall. Don't ever let me come down from your love 
station release? It is a station release, right? Which has turned out to be a great thing because they can not only keep people busy who are otherwise unoccupied, but they can do some more experimentation. One interesting thing, or two things about this song actually, is that looking up producer credits, all the names are American as far as I know. So there's like Dylan Pace, Brian Lee, and Stephen Carl as composers, which is I found odd given that this is the most typically Asian song that uh, SM have released in a long time. And also the dance practice video is out. And watching that, it, it makes even more sense that kind of the structure you said, because they start off with a group of male dancers and then a female dancer comes in as the song changes. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very much a dance piece. And a good one. Well, Jessica, we've saved your pick to last because we don't want to have to follow it. <laughs> you have a very interesting pick for us this episode. I suppose, yeah. Uh, now, I will say that my pick is not nearly as unconventional in terms of the song itself as what you guys have to offer. It is more in the tradition of R&B that I think especially American listeners will be very familiar with. But it is Ote by Coco Avenue. And if that group name does not ring a bell, that's not surprising. They're actually a pair of African-American women from the United States. I think one's from Florida, one's from Missouri. They started out as a six-member group doing a lot of covers, doing some dance covers. So they are making their own K-pop careers. And you can tell when you listen to Ote, which is in both Korean and English, that the K-pop influence is clearly there. It's not a cookie-cutter K-pop song. It's more, we'll say, adult, just in terms of lyrics and subject, as well as just in terms of mood and scene setting. But I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of get Coco Avenue on everybody's radar, because I think... We're starting to hear more about groups that are not necessarily Korean, but are now being K-pop influenced, you know, several years after the first landing of the Hallyu wave. Probably a lot of people have heard about BGA, which is a parody group, obviously, but for a parody group, they're certainly investing a lot of time and money into it and getting the results on iTunes. It's sort of a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. People going around calling themselves K-poopers. <laughs> right. Well, there's good and bad aspects to it. And then there was a group last year that came out. This is an even stranger story called EXP. Have you all heard about these guys? Mm-hmm. They just resurfaced, didn't they? Yes. Mr. Interante was involved somewhat with that project. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, now I'm even more curious. Yeah, because apparently they went to Korea and are going to come back with a new single, which surprised me because it was originally pitched as a master's thesis project. Coco Avenue is not a science experiment. Coco <laughs> Avenue, exactly. Coco Avenue is not a master's project. And having done a master's project myself, I say good for Coco Avenue. The other thing that made me think of this is that the now disbanded group Chocolat. Yeah. One of their members, Melanie Lee, just gave an interview to Kpopalypse. And I just butchered that, but whatever, he's Australian. I think that's right. <laughs> so one of the themes that came up in the interview was that Chocolat was specifically conceived as a group where all the members were biracial. 
And then having been cast in part because she was biracial, Melanie Lee said that she was constantly getting told that she wasn't acting as a Korean employee would act or things like, well, Americans are more likely to get fat, so you got to watch your weight. I mean, it's funny, but it's also very distressing. And reading the interview, you're very glad that she got out of that and seems much happier and healthier now. So there does seem to be this very interesting tension going on, observing this as a non-Korean with my own biases, obviously, so proverbial grain of salt. There does seem to be this sort of tension going on where the Korean government has been investing in Hallyu as a way of promoting this idea of soft power, not just in promoting Korean products abroad, but also just promoting the whole image of Korea itself abroad. And so there is this sort of nationalist element to K-pop, but it's also now a genre of music that's being listened to by people all over the world. And some of those people want to be influenced by that genre. And I think Coco Avenue, you know, which clearly, like I said, they use Korean in their songs, but they're also not K-pop in the sense that, as best I know, they are promoting independently. So they're doing what they're doing also raises the question of how much does that industry control K-pop, the music genre? And also, it's a really, it's a sweet song to listen to. It goes well with Eclipse, I think. Eclipse is a good easing into Twilight song. And then when it's late at night and you're going to make that booty call to Ellie, this is a song you can put on. Well, I can't let it go without telling you that I actually got to meet and spend a little bit of time with Coco Avenue back when they were a larger group in 2013. And they are just as fun and fascinating and amazing a group of young ladies as you would imagine that they would be. In terms of quality, this recent release is really good. Mm -hmm. And it raises an interesting question, you know, I think is sort of implicit in what you were talking about, which is what is the target audience of a group like that? It seems like mainstream Korean K-pop fans, they're not a natural fit for. American K-pop fans, seems like that would be a good audience for them. But there's a big indie scene in Korea that might be very open to this sort of act. Yeah, I was really surprised because I had never heard of them. So I like I clicked on the link to play it and I was cleaning up. So I wasn't watching the video and like immediately I was like, this is different. Like This isn't K-pop. And then after listening a couple times, you get the Korean, the slight Korean influences, but it's still... So that surprised me. I was like, why are they going over to Korea and producing music? That's so not K-pop. So uh, I had to kind of refigure and then found myself really enjoying it, loving their like hushed, whispered vocals, especially towards the end. The lyrics as well are really great and refreshing. Like you said, to go with EXID, uh, it makes for a really fun evening, I found. Well, Jessica, it's been great having you on the show. You That was a very inspired pick there. I'm, I'm really glad that you were here to alert us to that and to allow us to talk about it. Thank you. So if you want to get in touch with any of us and share your thoughts on what we've been talking about, you can reach us at Kpop Unmuted on Twitter. 
and on Facebook. Jessica, how can people get in touch with you and follow your musings on Twitter and maybe be alerted to your writings in the future? I actually gave up Twitter after the election. <laughs> oh, no. And haven't been back on since. This is true. But is there hope? I, I suppose there's a... How are we going to know when you publish something? My Twitter handle is of Caladan, O-F-C-A-L-A-D-A-N. You can also find me at, on Medium. So that's where I'm putting my long-form stuff these days. And then my website is jessicadoyle.space. And you can find me at cultscene.com, that's cult with a K, and at Captain Joe Hook on Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm at Tennessee Appeal. And of course, if you're not subscribed already to the show, we encourage you to subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.